What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the Disc Golf Hour. Uh, we're not even going into any sort of delay or anything right off the top. I got everything set up now, so we're slowly making adjustments and getting things going here right right off the bat so we can just jump into it. Um, let me see if I can. One adjustment I want to do is that because I think some people are complaining about my um, camera going in and out of focus. Hopefully that fixes the problem, but we got a lot to jump in tonight. Uh, we'll see. Um, uh, sorry, Yuli just texted me. We're going to see. I, I've been talking to Yuli. A lot of people did enjoy Yuli being on the show. Uh, so me and him talked a little bit after the show to see if he had maybe any interest of being more um, more of a reoccurring guest, if you will, and just kind of see how he likes it. And maybe it turns into something down the road. I think he's got a lot of experience in disc golf obviously has a lot of good viewpoints on different topics i think me and him agree on some things and disagree on some things as well so i think he would be a good addition to kind of have on here especially when we're on tour uh we could potentially have a lot of podcasts um where we are essentially in the same room even having conversations and then having you guys still call in and ask us questions or debate us on topics and whatnot so we'll see what see what it is um, I'm just going to say whenever you can get on here, whenever, I guess, um, the more, the merrier. And, uh, we'll go from there. Let me tweet this out real quick and we should be good. I think we're Gucci. Some people are joining the Twitter right now, which is awesome. We got YouTube chat going, which is awesome. If you guys didn't check in to the foundation podcast last night, we did an incredible live stream. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We made we ended up making actually over a thousand putts because it ended up going into a crazy overtime situation with Hunter and Trevor. But we did it. We got the thousand putts. Trevor made the epic putt from the cold plunge. It was incredible. The weather right now in Texas, if you are in the Texas area or down south here, south central, I guess it was the weather's not been good. It rained a ridiculous amount yesterday pretty much all day it snowed even for a little bit so the the filming today on some of the courses was not ideal and also you know me I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of having to play disc golf when it's extremely extremely cold I much rather just get my putting or throws or stuff like that inside for the day and wait for a little bit of a warmer day and also I will, I will say this on on the people that are coming after me about things not being as cold as it seems. Texas cold is is a little bit of a different cold situation. If you've ever been to Texas, the wind absolutely cuts through everything you're wearing. And especially on days like today where it was cloudy and there was absolutely no, no sunshine, 40 degrees is ridiculously cold. So we were battling the elements today. It was fun uh, to, to get out there and, and kind of mess around a little bit, but we're not really we're not really playing disc golf. We're we're just out there trying to survive as best we can. Uh, but without further ado, let's jump into some of the talk, topics and let's get the show on the road. Got a few things I want to bring up today that kind of hit the internet. Um, eventually, I, I'm going to have the camera not on my computer, so when I actually touch the computer, it doesn't go crazy. But 
if you guys saw the thumbnail, if you go back and you and you saw the thumbnail on YouTube or Twitter or anything, you will see a new redesign, a new logo, if you will. Now, obviously, if you watched the first episode of the Disc Golf Hour, you saw that I did give a shout out to Ariel Hwani about his MMA Hour show that he's had for 10 plus years or something like that. Big fan of his show. Really enjoy what he does. Now, he does a lot of interviews with players. Uh, not players, but with, with fighters. He'll sometimes have agents come on. Um, some other big big players in the UFC and other mixed martial arts. That's like his main show that he does. But then he also has a show or a, a portion of the show where he answers questions. I think they have some sort of membership thing where you can become a member and send in questions and get your question answered by Ariel. Now, obviously, I'm not going to do that same style of show. He is a great journalist and a great interviewer. I don't know if I'm actually that great of an interviewer. I don't know if I've actually ever done a... I did something for the Country Music Awards, the A... Uh, what was that? The AMCs or... No, what is that? Country Music Awards. Is it just CMAs? It is the CMAs. What the heck? I did something for the CMAs a while ago and I interviewed a bunch of big country music artists and that was fun. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of the people. So they were kind of giving me some, you know, hey, this is what this person's known for. These are some of their songs. It, it could have probably been a lot better if I had, you know, research and actually had some decent questions. For me, it was just more like interacting with them. And then we would like play like a game. I feel like that's kind of cool. All the videos I've done with either athletes or celebrities have always kind of been like that, where I'm actually doing some sort of activity or contest with them. And while we're doing the activity or contest, I'm talking with them, getting some stuff out of it. I've never done like a sit down face to face interview. And I don't know if I would actually even be good at that. So I don't want that's not what the show's going at all. With that all being said, though, um, we did model a lot of the graphics, the thumbnail, a lot of those things. We didn't model it after the MMA hour, which was a big mistake on my part, a big L. And I got I got ripped for it, rightfully so. So uh, Ariel came after us a little bit, uh, his producer, and then a lot of people that are fans of the MMA hour also came after us, which was rightfully so. And like I said, a big mistake on my part. Um, so I quickly, quickly um, got Hunter to, to help me out on fixing the problem, which he was able to do by the end of the day, which was awesome. Um, and I got to talk to Ariel a little bit in the DMs. We, we follow each other, so I was able to like DM him, and he was able to see it, uh, and he was cool with it. So at the end of the day, all things are good moving forward. Um, and I'm glad I didn't, uh, I didn't create an enemy with Ariel. Cause if you, if you've watched his show before, you realize that he has a few enemies and he, he's very good at, at, uh, at destroying them, if you will. So I got, I got whooped pretty bad on Twitter, rightfully so for that day, but these are the new graphics moving forward. Hopefully you guys like it. I think it turned out fine. Um, and yeah, we'll move forward from that. Uh, all right, let's talk. Let's talk Shelly Sharp. Let's talk Shelly Sharp. The first, I would say, the first like big tournament 
of the 2023 season. I'm normally not a huge fan, especially when the season actually starts. I'm not, I'm not going to probably be talking about any other A tiers or B tiers. The reason the only reason I'm really talking about this one is it gives us a little bit of a a little bit of a snippet of like where some players are from the offseason. You know, especially some players that maybe have switched to new different to different manufacturers, they're throwing different discs. We get a little bit of an insight on how well they're doing with the transition or how well they're playing, where their game is at. And I'll be the first to tell you though, this is not I think too many people are taking this like, oh my gosh, this person's going to be terrible this season because they had a bad tournament. This is not like the greatest indicator of like how the season's going to go because you also have to remember a lot of these people haven't had adequate time to kind of, like uh, myself included. Like I'm just now starting to kind of go back out and throw and things are going to kind of take time. Like Las Vegas, I should be feeling pretty good but it probably won't be until after the Texas swing where my game really feels like I'm kind of back at a good spot. That's something that I'm going to have to try to figure out. Cause again, this off season in Texas was terrible. It was so cold. The weather was terrible. Uh, not a lot of opportunity to go out and practice. Um, and again, when I'm talking about practice, there's a massive difference. Oh, let me get Hunter and Oh, we can get Yuli and Hunter in here. Let's see. Invite the co-host. And then invite the co-host. Um, all right, they should be joining. Um, when it comes to practice, I think some people, you know, I think there are some warriors out there when it comes to like cold weather. And they're like, what? You can't handle the cold weather? You can't play in the cold weather? And it's it's not so much I can't play in the cold weather. It's more... Am I actually getting better? Me going out and throwing in 35 degrees, am I throwing the same way that I'd be throwing in 80 degrees? Is my body operating the same way? And if it's not, am I picking up bad habits? Am I doing things that are going to actually hurt me? Would I much be better would I be better off actually getting practice indoors putting or indoors working on form throwing into a net? I think that is a big difference when a lot of people when I when I talk about not wanting to go out and play in cold weather I, I think to an amateur to someone that's just doing it for fun I think you're like well what's wrong with that you should just go out and play and it's like there's certain points of like if and he, and I'll have like Yuli jump on here because I would love to hear Yuli's perspective on this because he's in he's in the Charlotte area which gets cold if I'm testing out a new disc I do not want to test out that new disc when it's 20 miles per hour. I want to test out that new disc when it's not windy at all. It's going to give me a much better read on what that disc is capable capable of and where it might fit in my bag. It's kind of similar in that of like, if I'm trying to practice on my game, I don't know if going out in temperatures where I'm having to wear like three layers, a coat, gloves, I don't know how really beneficial that is when it comes to disc golf, we might have a handful of times having to play in those conditions. I might be much better off playing and practicing indoors than doing something at extreme cold temperatures. Yuli, what are your thoughts on that? Welcome, welcome back, dude. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, appreciate appreciate you having me back. You know, you make good points. I think you know from watching the weekend's coverage and and just seeing like the overall scope of what's happening in disc golf right now i mean there's a lot of storylines that 
kind of lay deep in the Shelly Sharp, which is, like you said, kind of fun to watch that tournament yeah, and see how those guys are doing. Uh, first off, like, obviously, Anthony's a, a local there, so you would expect him to play pretty good. Drew Gibson is now a local there as well. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is during the off season there, and I, you know, I lived there for 20 years, it's usually like the best weather you could ever have. Yeah. And then the Shelly Sharp hits for some reason, and then there's 20 mile an hour winds and it's 47 degrees, which is cold for there. I know there's people across the United States probably being like, that sounds perfect. But if you're used to normal conditions, I mean, that course is almost always a calm place to play mm. except for the memorial and Shelly. So plus he's has those new discs. I mean, seeing, uh, Mar- I, you know, I was surprised to see so many people out there. Honestly, a lot of touring pros played in that tournament to g- kind of get the warm up. Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of, I'll pull up the, uh, I'll pull up the, the actual tournament here. So we can kind of go down the, the leaderboard a little bit, but, that that I was talking to Hunter a little bit, who's who's in here as well. If he wants to pop on, but um, I was talking to Hunter about how Vista is one of those courses where if you're just off a little bit, you can you can shoot really bad. Um, and it, it's unfortunate, like just the situation with how the tournament is set up. I don't think we could have a pro tour uh, like a pro tour event out there. With it being through the park, I don't think they can close down that park. Um, they, they don't have a lot of control on it. But from the time I've spent out there, a lot of those fairways are very, very tight. And obviously, there's a handful of holes. Like 17 kind of jumps out at you. as like you have to birdie that every single round. And there's a few other holes where you're like par fours that are fairly – like I, the, the par four where you have that huge walk and then um, you just kind of chuck one out there, and then you have an easy like chip up shot. There are a handful of par fours and a few par threes where you're like, I got to get the birdie here. But then there's a bunch of holes that you can you can bogey or double, and I, I think that's where it, it is. You kind of can see some variations for some players. Like I'm looking at Drew Gibson, for example. Drew had a fifty shot, fifty three in round two, and a fifty nine in round one. Like a six-shot swing in disc golf is a lot um, between two rounds. It's 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 more of an uncommon thing um, than than some of the courses that we end up playing on tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's where it's kind of exciting to kind of see some people out there and just going down the leaderboard. Andrew Marwe took it down for MPO, uh, took it down by a lot actually. He won by six. That would you would you consider Vista kind of a forehand forehand you know not maybe advantage forehand but like forehand friendly course? There's a lot of holes that I would think that the forehand is actually pretty good there. Oh, absolutely, and and key holes too. I mean, coming down the stretch to be able to kind of rely on you know a big a big stroke separator that I've seen in tournaments in the past. There is 16. Mm. That one's tough. Yeah, like that is a hard backhand. Yes. And if you have the sidearm that can get, that's a two stroke swing on a lot of players in the field who try to get aggressive and kind of get after that. And then on the back nine, um, there's really no holes that don't, that a sidearm, if you think about the way that this is set up, it's all going on the embankment, kind of a hill. Yeah. It's basically doing a big counterclockwise around the park. 
Right. And so every single shot is actually coming in from left to right. Minus yes. a couple from left to right into a heel. Mm-hmm. So if you have sidearm distance, it's a huge advantage, huge advantage. Yeah. So it's not surprising to see, you know, Marweed, Noah Meitzma also has a good forehand. Jake Brown was someone that I kind of went toe to toe with in Las Vegas at the end of the season. That's a, that's a name to kind of keep an eye out for this season. He's got, I mean, his PGA number is one forty nine five four. I don't know. I can't remember if he just started playing disc golf or kind of just started getting into like the tournament scene. But Jake Brown's a name to ke- kind of keep an eye out. Um, Drew Gibson coming in at fourth, and then you got some, you know, three power forehand players: Adam Hammies, Aaron Gossage, Anthony Barella, all right there. Um, and then Kayla Visca coming in at ninth, um, tied for, tied for ninth um with the the smoothie backhand you know and that that kind of just shows you know he's not a bomber i don't think you necessarily need to have too much distance on vista but it obviously helps on some holes uh but it shows that his game is still kind of up there being able to come out and get a top 10 uh, at, a, at a pretty deep field uh you know i i would say you know 15 guys 12 12 to 15 guys there pretty solid so, which is like you were saying, yeah, kind, six, kind of wild series type level, I, I would say for sure. Uh, yeah, maybe like Silver Series close. from a couple years ago. Silver I Series are know, tough I now. Virgin- I played in Virginia, and there was like, well, five yes, people at the end of last year. Yes, the two, the two Silver Series, the, the two Silver events at the end of the season, or you know whatever those are called the crossover ones or whichever yeah uh, yeah, yeah those those weren't very deep comparative to the others um and then Jennifer Allen just won by 20 23 shots so hey and and check out that masters division real quick I oh is your brother take it down yeah oh big bro coming in okay the you, man. there i saw i saw after the first round like he was like kind of almost leading the entire tournament he had a really good first round so yeah he was able to hold it off and take it down he uh I, what was it was it fairly windy out there it was so the, it was windy and it was really cold like i said um which is which is bizarre for this time of year out there usually you know it's hovering right around 65 to 70 sometimes in the 50s but i think this last weekend when some of the players were starting it was like in the f- low 40s yeah and it's 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 a, it's a different game. It's a different yeah. game at that 100%. at that level. Um, regardless of what you want to say, you're not throwing. I mean, Hunter can attest to this. He he was struggling to clear a 320 foot water clear today. You know, and it's and it, it was a headwind. First off, okay, sorry, there was a head a little bit, but the there, cold was a factor. There was, was a little factor. bit of a headwind. Um, all right, so that was the Shelly Sharp we got. I, I think there might be one other tournament coming up that. Will be interesting, kind of look at. Um, but other than that, we got you know trouble in Vegas just around the corner. So let's hop into potentially like the biggest story that you know I've I've got different opinions on it. I ended up de- just deleting everything I posted on Twitter about it because I was like, this thing is just gonna suck me down a rabbit hole. Because I think sometimes Twitter is awesome, and then sometimes Twitter is absolutely the the worst because you end up. You know, like I think Hunter did it best of where you're just like kind of talking to a wall sometimes, it feels like, where you're not able to really explain your 
And maybe again, a lot of it might come down to me just not being that great of, at articulating my words, but the whole disc golf network coming out, the disc golf pro tour coming out and saying the disc golf network is going over to Europe for seven events. And, um, these events will be silver events and there'll be points. The fact that the fact that this, I mean, first off, Yuli, did you know about this before they posted it? I did not. This is the first time I heard of it as well. What were your thoughts when you first saw it? I didn't read into it, honestly. So, so the information you have is more than I had. I just saw that they were having tournaments. The fact that you just said, so explain the points, because that's something I am not aware of in, in yeah. any, any capacity. So that's where I think if they would have just come out, this, this is where I stand. If they would have just come out and said, hey, listen, there's some cool events going on over at the, in the Eurotour. We want to get involved and kind of show those events the disc golf network is going to be partnering with the European tour or whatever. And we're going to have that as additional content, additional tournaments for you guys to watch. I would be like, no problem. No, I wouldn't care at all. The points thing is where I kind of, I kind of, because again, there's a, I think a lot of people get confused between disc golf network and the disc golf pro tour. Those two things are separate. The disc golf network could theoretically go out and just film a random B tier and have it on the network, on their network for subscribers to watch. The disc golf pro tour is like the point system where we're all trying to generate points to make it to the tour championship. That is where I'm like, kind of, it's weird that why did they make a post? I don't know, a month ago, two months ago of like, Hey, this is the disc golf pro tour schedule. Boom. And then, a few days ago, they make a post being like, hey, these are additional events we're adding to the Disc Golf Pro Tour when the season's about to start. The timing of all of it was very odd. And obviously, like, I went down this conspiracy road a little bit. And obviously, Hunter, Hunter can jump on and, and kind of explain his side. But this is where I was at. There is, there's three situations that could have gone down. And I would, I would just kind of like to know like how it all transpired because two of the situations I think are bad for the overall future of disc golf. And one of them is just like, oh, that's a weird coincidence. So the first situation is the disc golf pro tour talking with Paul and saying, hey, we are thinking about going over and doing some stuff in the European tour. Would, would you be interested in going over there? And basically giving Paul information prior to everyone else on tour. And, and then basically then Paul comes out and says, hey, I'm going to these events. And then, you know, a month later, or a couple of weeks later, the pro tour comes out and says, Hey, we're filming these events on the disc golf network and they're going to be silver events. So that, in my opinion, is bad. The second option, which is also bad, in my opinion, is Paul just announces his schedule and just says, Hey, I'm going over to the European Open. And then the Disc Golf Pro Tour is like, okay, well, Paul's going to draw in a whole bunch of eyeballs. So we need to go over there and film and not only film, but let's also make these a silver event. I think that's also not necessarily the greatest thing. Or the third thing is Paul and the Disc Golf Pro Tour both had this idea to do the European Open, like to go over there to the Europe and do these events 
without any communication. And it just so happened uh, that they just happened at the same time. Now, Hunter does bring up a good point, which he hasn't said, but he said to me that Paul, I remember when I first got in and, and Yuli, he might've mentioned this to you. When I first got into disc golf, Paul has been wanting to go over to Europe for a very long time. And I remember me and him discussing potentially going to some events and stuff like that. So that is, it's not like, I don't think him going over there was influenced at all by the pro tour. I think the problem is, do we want to have the pro tour? And again, I get why some people are like, well, you're just mad because it's Paul. I said the same thing when Evelina showed frustration that during Texas States that a few FPO players came to the Pro Tour and complained about complained about the the layout being too long and the Pro Tour was like, "All right, we're going to change that." My issue is like I don't know if the Pro Tour should be in that scenario too, I don't know. I don't know if the pro tour should be like just kind of talking to a handful of people and and making moves based off a handful of people. Does that make I got, sense? I got, a, I got a fourth thing. Yeah, maybe. go for it. And it, I, I know nothing about this whole situation at all. And yeah. so now, now I kind of got a grasp of what you're saying. So Paul comes out with his schedule, and then it just so happens that the schedule he came out with is now a silver series events from the pro tour and they're going over there Mm -hmm. and they're going to then film it correct yes so so there there was other pros that were like kind of a little bit upset like i think some hunter who who did you see that posted on instagram that were kind of upset with this being posted super late i think colton montgomery had commented something and maybe bradley william it was on the pro tours post i I don't remember exactly who it was i think it was colton and bradley okay because I think some people were just like, hey, the schedule came out. I planned on it. And again, the only oh, thing... I'm not stoked about it myself, hearing it from, for, from right now. Like, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, player first. Because I... Like, yeah. Why, why wouldn't I know about these tournaments? So, yeah, I think people... My, oh, go, go yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, real yeah. quick, though. I think people yeah. kind of, for my side, I think people were coming after me or under, like, thinking that... I was getting mad about it because it was Paul and it wasn't even so much of that. Even if Paul wasn't involved, even if Paul didn't decide to do the European tour at all and the disc golf pro tour just came out this super late saying, Hey, we're just adding these events. I would still be like, why, why did it get added so late? Why didn't you just announce it with the entire tour? Like why that would be my question. Check. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the fact that it wasn't announced means that the deal wasn't done yet. And so that's when I was going to bring my fourth point of something that could have happened, right? And this mm-hmm. is just me brainstorming off the whip. So what if whoever's running the tour over in Europe, okay, yeah, they are pulling the strings and they're like, okay, you know what? We need to get the Disc Golf Network over here. How do we do that? Well, what if we talk Paul into coming over and playing the tournaments? Then maybe that, you get what I mean? Maybe there was like two different conversations going on and the Europeans maybe, uh, or the tournament director, I don't know. Um, they, I know they have the Euro tour over there. Yeah. But I don't know how any of that stuff works. Honestly, I should probably catch up on that stuff. But what I'm saying is that's the possibility that, you know, people over there 
were just trying to get maybe Paul to come play him, and they were in talks with the Disc Golf Pro Tour, and neither of them even had any idea, one or the other. Yeah. Uh, apparently, AltiWorld did an interview. I'm, I'm seeing some of the comments on YouTube now. Apparently, AltiWorld did an interview uh, with Jeff Spring. I did not see that. Um, or I, I, apparently he answers all these questions. So I didn't see it's, I didn't see that. I don't know if someone that did see it wants to hop on the Twitter spaces and kind of give us a little like recap of what he said. That would be awesome. I mean, heck if, if Jeff spring or, um, uh, Oh, this, wait, let me see if this guy, let me see if this guy listened to it already. He might, he might give us some Intel here. Yo. Hey, how's it going? Doing good. Did you did you see the Alti World interview? Yeah, I sure did. Oh, um, sweet. Yes. Give us some intel. Yeah, my name is Daniel um, from Tennessee Twos, and I've kind of been following along with all of this situation with y'all. Um, I you know, I've I kind of posted my own things about it. Hunter, you replied graciously and well wordedly. I appreciate your replies yesterday. Um, and we kind of came all the way back around. I had originally said that my thought process is Sula performed so well and European performed so well that they probably, as, as around the same time that they made the decision to make that an elite series, was probably the time they probably got that conversation going. But when they came in and Jeff Spring did that interview, he essentially confirmed a similar concept where um, last summer they basically said, you know, this performed really well. We liked what we're doing out here. We definitely want to expand out here. Um, they didn't talk, you know, too much into some severe concise details, of course, because it's it's just a basic interview and DGPT tends to not give up too much information, if you know what I mean. But um, yeah, they basically talked about the fact that they really wanted to continue growing in the European market. It's something that they've wanted since they started the network, which was but 2019 officially 2020 when they started broadcasting. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was the basic concept. As he said, you know, we've wanted to do this from the very beginning. Sula performed very well. It was, it was something that kind of opened the door for us to get these conversations going. And, you know, from, from my side looking in, I kind of, I kind of agree a little bit with what, what Yuli said, where maybe European might be pulling the strings a little bit, but I kind of thought of it in a little bit of a different way where you know maybe they had this deal going they can't quite get this deal to close they're trying to figure out how to close it paul comes along and announces the the extended tour he's going to take in europe and both parties say you know what maybe we should both compromise a little better and get this deal closed oh, and that okay. was really really what happened that was my thought process it might be a little bit far-fetched it's it's a theory at best oh so that's not actually what happened we <laughs> No. We, so all all Jeff basically said was like after the Sula Open and seeing the success with that, that they were interested in doing doing more stuff in yes. Europe. Yeah, they they've they said we've been in talks with them since the summer to start getting this. In terms of this particular announcement, it's been since last summer that we really wanted to get this done. Now, you know what what pressed them to finally get the deal done? I don't know. I kind of agree with you guys. It's it's a rough decision to make this late yeah and to announce it especially with the points aspect in particular maybe just the coverage i would understand that the points though as well but 
but that's that's my running theory personally is that Paul Paul made the announcement and both parties, not just DGPT, but the Euro Tour as well, said, you know, this could be a really good opportunity if we close this deal a little bit quicker. And what will be very interesting will be what happens in 2024 if Paul, because again, Paul was talking to me about wanting to do this years ago, and I believe COVID prevented him from doing it when he wanted to. So it would be interesting. I would be, I'm just going to be fascinated to see what 2024 happens because if Paul just does this because he wants to do it right and then he's one and done and he's not going to go back and do another European tour next year in 2024, does the Disc Golf Pro Tour continue its relationship with the European tour with all these events? Or is it like, oh, well, Paul's not going to be there the draw for these events isn't going to be nearly as high, right? Like we, we didn't, we, we didn't get any Intel of like how many years this deal is. Is this just a one year deal and just kind of see what happens and move forward after that? Yeah. I think right now it's more of a one-off than anything. That's what they indicated in the interview. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a, that's an interesting theory. If Paul doesn't go there, do they re-up that deal? Do they consume part of the European tour and just make them silver series? Like they kind of basically did with Sula, you know, what kind of happens next is it would be interesting. Hunter, do you have anything to add? Yeah. So this, we kind of talked about this a little bit Brody earlier of like, some people were misunderstanding some of my tweets when I was raising a lot of the questions surrounding it. Um, it was similar to back, at, I believe it was Worlds when the PDGA randomly, after they got pressed on, it might have been the Utah World, they got pressed on all this stuff uh, that was going wrong. And then they magically added $10,000 to the purse. And we questioned it. Like, why? Why? where did the $10,000 come from? Mm-hmm. The $10,000 is a great thing. But it was a question of like, why was that just now added? What, like, where was that going if it wasn't for this? I think I believe they added that. I believe they added, I don't, Yuli, do you remember this? They added like $10,000, like a day or two. They, well, that first off, they made a huge announcement being like the biggest purse ever for worlds. And then, like, a few days later, they're like, we just added another $10,000. And this was after all the kind of bad stuff that was coming out about worlds. And that just, you know, that just rubbed me the wrong way because it's like, where is this $10,000 coming from? Well, what I was, what I was saying is like the Europe thing. People were saying like, "Oh, you don't want to grow the sport overseas." No. Yes, like growing the sport overseas is a great thing. That is great for the sport. I'm more saying like Kona Piste, for instance, one of the events it's announced as a Silver Series is already full with like a 50 player wait list. So, y'all, like as a pro tour player, if you Brody or Paul Yuli wanted to play Kona Piste to get a Silver Series event in right now, you can't. You have to, you're 53 on the wait list. And it was just announced. I think to me, now that I've heard what he was saying, that Jeff Spring said, what it sounds like to me is that this was kind of in the talks, right? The making these a silver series, whatever. Paul Macbeth has been talking about this Europe trip for years. He's mm-hmm. wanted to make it happen. He wanted to get over there for a month to grow his brand, grow the sport over there. He sees it developing. So Paul, I think, made a very innocent decision. I'm yes. going over there. I can finally make it happen. Boom. The Pro Tour is like, oh, shoot. We have this thing that's still kind of in negotiations to get these things to be Silver Series. What a great time to kick it off. Paul's going to be over there. Let's get this deal like locked in, ready to go. We can make it happen this year. And I think they overlooked the fact that we're 30 days out from the start of the season and just kind of rushed the finishing part of it because like 
this decision announcement in October or middle of the season saying, hey, this is coming for 2024, beautiful decision, great for the sport, no pushback. I would have sung its praises. I would have never questioned anything. The decision happening, what we we're literally like 20-some days from Vegas, and players' seasons like is set. Some of these tournaments are full. And now all of a sudden, the big thing to me too is Paul has signed up for these events. And when he signed up from the outside looking in, it was like he is willing to sacrifice pro tour points, sacrifice. Like he only lost the pro tour title by five points last year. He's willing to sacrifice this stuff to grow the sport in Europe, to grow his brand in Europe, to push discraft in Europe, all these different things, and just to go play in Europe. That's sick. That's great. And then the pro tour makes this announcement and essentially if he wins two of the like four events that'll count over there for silver series he's playing if he wins two of them that's like 100 points that's that's like he wins one elite series event over here because i know that he already won one silver series event so two more can count he wins those two that's 100 more points towards him that he wasn't going to get a few weeks ago if the pro tour didn't make this decision and to me to grow the sport wise the disc golf network does the same thing with or without the points. So I don't understand the points being announced right now. I still think there's a lot of questions going on. I I have no insight. I I don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but from the outside looking in, this just looks like a, a decision with good intentions that was rushed, and they weren't fully thinking about the players at the end of the day and how it could affect a lot of the people who now may or may not be able to make the trip to Europe or wanted to make the trip, but now the tournaments are full and, there's a lot of different questions that I think just weren't fully thought out. I think it, it seems to be a little bit rushed on my end. You know, and I have to say that, that that's a huge thing that I didn't even consider. And I think that should be an integral point to the conversation is, you know, when these events are already full before they're announcing that they're adding points to them, that definitely changes the perspective from the fan side as well as the player side. And from for like the the mid tier pros like myself that are like scraping to get every single point possible to get into the tour championship because I don't think this affects like Gannon Gannon I, I watched a little bit of him on the Nick and Matt show and I watched Isaac on the Nick and Matt show and they essentially were like this this doesn't affect me and that's completely fine like those guys they're confident that they're going to get enough points in the elite events that they're going to be playing stateside. And the silver events are playing stateside that they'll make it into the tour championship. So adding this doesn't really affect them. And that's awesome. But for people like me or even, you know, people that are even maybe getting less points than I did the previous season, there's two events, two silver events that sandwich the Sula Open and the European Open. So there's a silver event, um, Kansas City Wide Open, and then there's a silver event in Europe. And then you got the Sula Open, and then you got the European Open, and then you've got Mid-America Open in the States, and then you've got a European silver event. So, like, I was kind of questioning whether or not to do the Kansas City Wide Open and the Mid-America one, but, like, I know that the competition, and this is not a, this is not a, you know, a slam on the competition in Europe. It's, it's pretty well documented that a European tour event doesn't have the same competition top to bottom as a United States event. It just doesn't. And a lot of the top guys in Europe come over to the United States and play. So I don't even know if they're even going to go back for some of these silver events, but 
Like, Yuli, are you thinking about changing up your schedule at all to go over there more? Because I'm considering maybe spending a a month over there now for four events instead of just what I was going to do is just to do the Sula and the European Open. Yeah, so a lot of things. I think I think the first thing is is it's freaking awesome for disc golf. It's awesome that there's going to be points in Europe for European players to be able to accumulate points through maybe being over there for a month, coming here, getting their points, us going there, getting points. I mean, the fact that there's more tournaments being documented by the Disc Golf Network is freaking awesome. That's obviously goes without saying. Us not knowing that they were going to be Silver Series, I do have a problem with that. I wish we would have known. But at the same time, I think this is a good deed that they're doing and not something that they really think that would bother the player because there's so many tournaments here. I mean, during that European trip, is there any actual elite series going on in the U.S.? I haven't looked at the calendar. Yes. Um, if you did all those silver events, so like Paul is going, and I agree a little bit with Hunter saying that, you know, the disc golf pro tour is essentially gifting. I mean, obviously Paul still has to win two silver events over there, but I think he's going to be playing in a handful of them. And if you're a betting man, you probably would bet that he's probably going to win two of them. Um, So they are in that sense, kind of giving him points that he wasn't going to initially have before they announced this. However, he's giving up more by going over there because he will be missing, I believe, preserve. I believe he'll missing uh, Idlewild. He'll be missing like elite. Portland, yep. He'll be missing some big elite events. So he will be missing out on potentially boost, you know, boosting up his point total in those no, elite he's, events. He's giving up a ton of points because Portland's elite plus too. Yes. So he's definitely, so, again, and that's why I agree that I don't think Paul had any sort of malicious thing of being like, hey, I'm going over there. You need to make these Disc Golf Pro Tour points so I can get – I don't think that was – I don't think really, I mean, obviously he wants to beat Ricky like last year, he would have loved to beat Ricky in, in the point system, but I think he also can, I think he also strategically looks at like the schedule and says like, I can miss some of these elite events and have those just like be the drop off ones and do really well at all the other ones and still win, be the points leader. Right. Uh, I probably would guess that he doesn't care that much about the points. I think he probably cares about the finale. But yes. I, I would guess that he's just trying to make the, you know, get a buy, get to the finals, and then do yeah. do work from there. Um, but as far as like the events and stuff go, it's just more options. That's the way I'm looking at it. It's more options for everybody now around the world. There's a lot of touring players that don't get to come over here. I mean, that's a big commitment. You know, we're talking about Paul going over there and that being a big commitment and a sacrifice. Like, think about the European players where their only option really for a long time was to come over here mm-hmm. now having a few silver series over there i mean i kind of i really do like that part i think the only thing about this whole thing that i don't like is that we didn't really know and as far as the tournaments being full i do think that if everybody were to know that they were silver series obviously that changes a lot of minds or you know, a percentage of maybe I will, maybe I won't, that percentage becomes a little more equal. But I mean, I I, I think I got a message about the Kona Peach they opened a while back saying mm-hmm. that it was like on social media. So that was like, that that tournament, Silver Series or not, it's amazing. So if you yeah. were going to go do that, 
that would have been a decision you already made and you would have had the option to, to sign up um beforehand. I, I don't think there's any conspiracy theories going on here. I think that the pro tour is working hard to grow obviously the sport in every nook and cranny of the world, which is great. Um and they probably just didn't get the deal done, you know? And then this is when they got it done. And maybe they didn't even know they were going to get it done. So then the option is postpone it till next year or let's just do this and, and put it out a month, two months earlier or, or whatever, two months late. It, and maybe, you know, maybe that's the case, which yeah. I'm all for. It, I think, I think realistically, you kind of hit the nail on the head with one thing. Realistically, um, the amount of people that are going to Europe probably wouldn't have changed whether this announcement was months ago or right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it was more so players from what I was seeing just like are a little frustrated. They didn't have the option. Yeah. Who probably ended up saying, yeah, I'd rather play Portland open in the elite series over here and it's than go over to Europe. Yeah. And I think and that that's tells me that, yeah, go- that tells me that the, the disc golf network didn't have it, the deal done, you know, they weren't sure if it was going to happen or not. And then, like I said, I'm guessing, if I was a pro tour, the only way that it would come out this way is to be like, okay, we're not going to do it. Or we just say when the deal's done, because you don't want to get our hopes up to be like, Oh, there's a bunch of silver series and the disc golf network's going to be there. But they're like, well, it's a maybe still, you know what I mean? Realistically, I I think I, again, people, I think tied a lot more conspiracy and stuff to me than I was actually trying to say by any means. Cause I think, from my perspective, what it seems is that they are working towards this deal to grow the grow the sport in Europe, push towards the future, and the deal, whatever, whatever, however, it wasn't fully worked out. They just knew the opportunity of Paul being over at these events would make it blow up a lot more. And I think they just were like, "We've got to capitalize on it," and that's what made it seem weird timing wise. Yeah, like, I mean, that's, Paul, that's what Paul makes being the most at, sense Paul to me. Could, Paul could pull out of the pro tour and go to a C tier and, and have, you know, a thousand spectators. I mean, yeah. that's a draw that, that, that the guy has, especially over in Europe. And exactly. It's Any thoughts on there, the European so. players? Any thoughts on the guys that are buying tickets to, you know, get their whole European, uh, you know, get their visas in order, get everything like that in the States. And then all of a sudden, wait, I don't have to leave for a couple of weeks. I can stay and play in silver events. Well, I don't need to go. He, Any thoughts on those guys? Have we heard anything from them? He, is that even a thing or am I just making up something that European players might not even care about? I mean, then again, we're looking at a silver series where less points and we're not talking about players that are, we're talking about Paul's caliber of player who's going to go over there and probably win a couple of tournaments. So it's a different scenario. To where the European, they need the most points they could possibly have. No, I know, but there are some of here. There's some events that are silver events over there, or silver events in the United States. Yeah, but you would have to kind of fly back and forth, right? It'd well, no, that's what I'm saying. Trip. If I live, if I, this is my point, Yuli, the Sula Open, European Open. If you're a top European player, you're playing in both of those events, right? Yes. There's two silver events on either side of those events. There's one before and there's one after. So if I'm a European player, I'm going over to the United States doing my tour and then I'm coming back and playing that silver event, Sula, European Open, silver event, and then going back to the States. 
right? I mean, like if you live there, otherwise yeah. you're still traveling across country. Like if you're if you're like in the in the country that and in the town, like this is still well, yeah, for sure. Like but like making the decision and me and me, me living in Charlotte, and then me being like, well, I could go here or I could go over to Washington across the world. Like yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah. I was just saying, I was just. We're talking a lot about like the year, like the the U.S. players not knowing about it. I just didn't know. Yeah. Is there a side of like the European players not knowing about it and being like, well, well, heck, like this is in my backyard. This is my home course. If I would have known this was a silver event, I would have stayed and played. You know, is that a thing? Or some people are saying like these are still months and months in advance. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it might matter to somebody for sure. I mean, it probably affects somebody to say it wouldn't affect anybody if they didn't know, or even if they did know. I mean, it's going to affect decisions, like you're saying, but on a on a big, huge scale, probably not enough. To yeah, really matter. not enough to matter. I, yeah. So a few other a few other interesting things that came from this story. Uh, we found out that as of October, during October. We don't know what the number is currently, but during October, the Disc Golf Network had 44,000 subscribers. That's pretty big. That's a decent That's a decent poll. It'll be interesting to see now that we are going over to European, like the Europe side, do they pull in even more from maybe the European viewers to want to tune into some local courses and more of the local players over there? It'll be interesting to see kind of the growth of that. But I thought 44,000 subscribers it that's a big chunk of people i didn't think it was that high yeah and it's i'm wondering what the commentary is going to be like okay so yes good question so disc golf network they're part they're partnering with a company called pulsia i might be saying that wrong it's a it's a european live production company now a few interesting comments i got from this is talking about how pulsia they did um they did the Finnish Nationals last year and apparently it wasn't that good of a broadcast. And uh well from from what I understand they they kind of bootstrapped it a little bit. Um okay. so it's like from from what I was I didn't watch Finnish Nationals. I just saw some people commenting and some of the people that watched it are pretty confident, you know, if you take Disc Golf Network gives them some resources, like some cameras, expertise. Mm-hmm. It'll fix a lot of the problems that were happening. Um, I think it, it's similar to like if you took Smashbox back in 2015 and the live disc golf we were watching. So you then, think that's going to happen, they, though, Hunter? You think you think the Disc Golf yeah. Network is going to work with them? You don't think they're just going to say, hey, we're not going all the way over there to do anything. You guys just kind of run the show. No, I, I don't. The, the Disc Golf Network is very proud and puts a lot of time and energy into the product that they put out. And I don't think they're going to allow something on their network that they're paying subscribers are going to watch that doesn't meet their standard. I would be very surprised if they just said, "Hey, we're going to bring it on the Disc Golf Network. Y'all figure it out." Because they gonna they sent a team it. right for Sula, Sula yeah, and European Open. Major, absolutely. Okay, so they might actually even be more involved. It might just be. They might be honestly because they did it themselves. So this might just be a company that might be able to enhance what they currently were able to do last year. Yeah, because what what I was saying was like if you took what Terry and JVD were doing back in 2015, that we were all like it was great. We got to watch live disc golf, and you showed that to the audience that used to live disc golf right now, mm. people would probably hate it. Yeah, but like 
as things evolve and as you have more resources, you're able to do more, have more camera angles and live disc golf now is incredible. Um, so I think that it's kind of a situation where they were bootstrapping it a little bit before and with the disc golf network's resources and expertise, now they've done it for a long time and they know what they're doing, being able to provide that to them, I think is going to solve a lot of the problems from what I was seeing people saying. People were seeing pretty confident that the disc golf network was going to be able to solve a lot of issues that are going on at Finnish nationals. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, that's good news. Uh, Nate Perkins leaves Dismania. Uh, announced by Dismania, who has a very strange theme with their announcements of people leaving. If you if you if you're not like in the world of disc golf and you just happen to see this on like your Instagram for you page or your like Twitter page or something, it would almost look like someone died and they were like, do, what, do, what do they call that? Like a memoriam? A memoriam? Is that what it is? You guys know what I'm talking about or no? Yeah, like in a more like a memorial post. Or yeah, like where obituaries. Yeah, and it's almost like even that like black and white kind of like I don't know. It's it, a somber post. It's a somber post it's for a, sure. It's a somber post. But Nate Perkins leaves Dismania. It'll be interesting to see kind of what he decides to do. He definitely has moved more into a role of being involved on the production side when it comes to being on the ground, being a voice to kind of give a little more intel to the booth during the disc golf networks. And then also he has kind of sprinkled himself in the agent world a little bit and has helped some people broker some deals on uh, some of their contracts. So it'll be, I, I don't, I don't foresee him leaving the disc golf space. He obviously has a, a role in those two fields. that I think he can kind of expand on. But it will be interesting if he's leaving Dismania because he's like, hey, I'm not going to really be playing that much this season. Um, we'll see. I, I know well, he, he made a he made he did the uh, podcast with uh, GK Productions. Okay, and he kind of gave, gave some of that information out there to where he was saying that he is moving into more of a role with uh, the production of the Disc Golf Network. I think he's going to be. Um, the on on field guy. Oh, nice! More 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 on the field, like yeah. consistently. Yeah, yeah. And then he said he was also going to play like half the events or something. Oh, dang! So he's going to play more this year than he did last year. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I remember here. And I, I think don't quote me on that because this was a couple days ago that I watched the podcast. But okay. I mean, it was a pretty good podcast, and he and he he was sharing like his. You know his uh his kind of life of his disc, his disc golf life and nice and it comes down to I think he's he also mentioned which I thought was really cool that he you know he was leaving this mania but he was gonna like give it time before he like even looked for other sponsors or even thought about it or anything because of the relationship he had with them and I thought that was kind of a cool cool thing to do not just to leave and jump right into another sponsor he he wanted them to know that their relationship meant more than that so interesting anyways dusty you got anything for us oh no i was just going to kind of agree that i think that uh this is probably a move more towards the media side of things and he could even get picked up as an agent 
I feel like if by one of these organizations, you know, whether it be Beacon or, or one of these other things, as you were kind of alluding to before these agencies started getting into disc golf, he was kind of the first guy I had ever heard of that was helping players get better deals. Like if I'm not mistaken, he helped Ezra with the whole disc craft thing initially. Um, and this was before any agencies are really involved in disc golf. So I could totally see, uh, um, you know, an agency seeing the value in someone who already has experience doing that sort of thing to kind of bring him on board to do that while he doubles up and also continues to work with the disc golf pro tour on the media side. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I'm sure that something lucrative is going to come out of this for him. Uh, despite, you know, maybe people being sad that he's not going to do this mania. And what I'm also thinking, and this is like a slight pivot. I think that while a lot of people are viewing this mania as a big loser this year due to obviously losing Simon and, you know, kind of some of the like uh, uncertainty about some of their other players with like injuries and things like that. I think this mania is, is really going to have probably a big off season next off season. I think. Well, they just got the injected with a million dollars too for yeah, the buyout. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if, if that if that Simon Lazat buyout is true, and that's come in, come in, plus just like some of these other companies, they're growing. They're obviously making more money now. They're, yep. they're manufacturing their own disc. All this, you know, I think that they could make some really big moves. Like, like for example, you know, Dynamic made their big moves last year, right when they picked up Ricky and and Kona, mm-hmm. and so this year you didn't really see a whole lot from them. You know, they had some big losses, obviously, Valor and Holland, I think, were huge losses for them on the FBO side of things. But they they made their big move last year. You know, this year, MVP made a big move. You know, Discraft reinforced moves that they had already made, but then brought in a couple to really bolster up the FBO team. I think this mania, I'm, I'm going to guess, is going to make some big news next year because there are some big players that are on contract year this year. Um, Gannonburg being one of them would be probably yeah. like the biggest one I can think of. I was going to say the, the goal in my head for disc mania this upcoming off season is keep Eagle McMahon priority yep. number uno and sign Gannon Burr number two. I think those are the one, two. And if prodigy, if I'm prodigy, I'm getting into a bidding war. I was shocked. Prodigy. Any worries about the FPO side for prodigy? For Prodigy, Prodigy? For yeah, or for Dismania, or sorry, sorry, Dismania, sorry, Dismania. Well, Dismania well, has Ella. never invested heavily in FPO. I mean, they they've had some European players, but Ella Hansen, correct me if I'm wrong. Ella Hansen's the, the like face of the Dismania on the Pro Tour. Am I wrong on the if FPO you're, side? You're right. They did pick up uh, Ricky Adi. Um, okay, Cynthia. Hansen, that was last year. Okay, uh, but but yeah, Hansen's definitely you know the face of FPO for. Yeah, they've never really been big in the FPO side as far as like having a big team. So I didn't know if they were going to maybe do another signing on the FPO side. Um, That's also possible. I mean, I'm not sure what's going on with extensions for other players. Like picking up like an Evelina or something like that kind of could really. um, Well, she just extended for three years. Yeah, yeah, him and her. But but someone like that caliber, you know, like a top 10 caliber player to kind of plus buyouts are buyouts are on the table now yeah apparently you can just buy out anyone so um all right it will be um one thing i want to say back with nate perkins is yeah. i think it will be interesting the progression we're watching as like the current uh, like a lot of disc golf pros their next step is good getting in with the disc golf network or nate perkins with like being a agent and stuff the progression of like how do you stay sponsored as an analyst or, I don't or think you can. even as an agent? Like, is that like a, 
Nate Perkins when he's negotiating stuff, like if you he's can't. on, if he's being sponsored by Discmania or something, like is that a conflict of interest? Yes. Or even as an analyst, does that get to be a conflict of interest at some point? If you're like sponsored by one of these manufacturers and you're like dipping your toes and playing still, like is that something that like is doesn't exist five or ten years from now as players continue to transition into that? Because like right now, everyone in the booth except for the play-by-play guys are sponsored as far as I'm oh Nate Doss, I guess isn't technically, but he might still be a discraft, but like Sexton, Philo, Germ, I think Nate Perkins. I think the agent tied to companies heavily. Yeah, well I think the media side, just with how with how the landscape is currently in disc golf, I it like you said, if you just were like, hey, you cannot be sponsored and be on the media team, the media team would go away. Right. So you can't do that currently, but on the agent side, I don't know how that works. You know, I don't know how you can theoretically have. Yep. Do you think it's a problem for analysts and stuff to be sponsored? I don't really see. No, I don't. I mean, Sexton calls a fair game. No, I don't don't really see where there's a. I don't think it's a. No, I don't think it's a problem. I thought it was an interesting dynamic. Yeah. I don't think it's a problem currently. Could it be a problem down the road? For sure. And is it something down the road that people would probably, uh, when when you know the player pool or the money is right down the road, would I see you know? Because even when you watch some commentators in other sports, they have biases to like their old teams and stuff, and you can kind of see that through. I, I think it'd probably be best if you had commentators that were completely unbiased and not attached to any sort of company outside of the the one they work for in the pro tour. But I think. The agent side, it definitely makes it way trickier if you have like a, you know, if I am Nate Perkins and I have a relationship where I'm sponsored by Dismania and now I'm going out and trying to get people sponsored by other companies, I, I that is, that seems like it would be a tricky situation even for Nate to be in of where, you know, now he's trying to get someone to sign a huge deal with Discraft. Like that seems weird, right? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think. I think that line is I – don't, I don't think that line will continue to be, like, crossed or blurry. I think the agents is starting to definitely be, like, if you're a disc golf agent, you are a disc golf agent. You're not a player and an agent. Correct. I, I think that was just, like, a transition period for the sport where, like, couldn't fully sustain agents or agents weren't sure yet. And so you had, like, that type of situation happening. But I don't – yeah, because it would also be weird of, like, if you're really tight with Pete, if I'm Nate Perkins, I'm really tight with everyone in Discmania and I'm negotiating this Ezra contract with Discraft. Like it'd be really easy for me just to be like talking to people at Discmania and letting stuff flow about what's going on with like the what negotiations is doing and, and stuff. Yeah. And like you, you'd have to like one hat, I'm an agent, one hat, I'm a player just shooting the breeze. And that'd be a weird balance to wear. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I see like down the road that being a little, a bit, of, a little more putting handcuffs on some of those situations. But as of right now, we yep. the best commentators are the the best commentators that we have in disc golf are players, and right. uh, I don't think it makes any sense to get rid of those just because we want unbiased commentary. And you're also never going to get unbiased commentary. There's always going to be people that don't like some people and people that do love some people. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes down the road, how Disc Golf Network kind of handles some maybe of those situations of people that are trying to be players and also in the booth down the road. I mean, I think UFC jumps there's, off at me. There, there's no sport where there's UFC. Just 
there's just no well no because there's there's oh you're saying no sport where everyone in the booth isn't players what are you yeah sorry. they all all well at least half of somebody in the booth has in field knowledge from previous i guess it'd be more like retirement though right i think that's the difference of where it's like tony romo's in the booth but he's not like strapping up the next day to go out and play well it's impossible it's impossible the only reason that that's even a a thing really is because post-produce obviously yep and then the live though the guys aren't playing you know they're they're taking the weekend off or or whatever Mm -hmm. um i I guess nate doss is a good example of being retired in a way he hasn't played in a a while yeah he's not i don't think he's retired he didn't announce his retirement you know right i think think this is like the natural progression of what's happening with broadcasting and disc golf right i mean it's the same with every other traditional sport is eventually players do retire and they look for that career path afterwards where they can kind of make use of the skills and experience that they have as a player in some other form or fashion, whether it's in the back office of an organization or whether it's in front of a camera. And I think what's happened is, is that up until very recently, it wasn't really viable to chase after the concept of being a commentator in disc golf and actually making that a career, something that was like financially stable. I mean, that really is only just starting to happen. I mean, you know, I don't know what people's rates are and things of that nature, but some of the numbers that I've heard are definitely not numbers you can live off of full time. Um, certainly no, not what I was making with Gaky Post Produce last year, or something that I could call like a real job. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's only down the road as things become financially more viable. Then yeah, players can probably start making that decision a little bit more easily to focus on, hey, I'm going to pursue this career path of being a commentator on DGN full-time. Um, you're, you're kind of already starting to see it. I mean, I think that was a big thing that happened with Brian Earhart this last season. Um, is He definitely really made that pivot towards doing that as well as like still doing content and stuff like that for Discraft, but not really being a player um, or, or an active like touring pro. So I think that's just like the natural progression. And like we have to play some catch up in disc golf before you start to see some of these like potential conflicts of interest kind of start wrinkling away. I mean, hell, there's way worse conflicts of interest, I think, in disc golf to worry about than players being in the booth that are sponsored. Like it's definitely not top of the list. No, it's not not even close. There's way worse conflicts of interest in the sport right now. All right, let's talk about this because this is a this is a topic that coming from a golf background i get i get maybe once once or twice maybe a month someone hitting me up with this question and i actually had one of my caddies basically just send me a message saying real quick talking with my buddies please let please let them know what is harder golf or disc golf this is this is a, i don't i don't know what is the allure why people um love to have this discussion but it is a very talked about discussion and there are some people that are super passionate so we'll see we got dusty here uh we got hunter and we got yuli here so we'll see if any of them disagree but just to be blat uh straight up and blat like to the point golf is way harder and it's not even close as a as a passionate disc golfer and so, therefore, the person you would expect the most to try to defend Discos honor, there's only one thing that you need to know. You can, within a couple of minutes, teach someone 
to throw a disc that makes some level of forward progress. It might not be much. It might be 50 feet down the fairway. It might be 30 feet down the fairway. But you can teach someone in a couple of minutes to get a disc to go forward, right? Bro, you could teach me however long you want. I may, I may not make contact with the freaking ball if I'm yeah. playing golf. <laughs> like I may just be swinging haymakers with the club completely missing the ball, and those are still strokes. So that alone right there, I think kind of settles the whole argument for me that at least disc golf is something that you can feasibly learn how to play to, I mean, at least a low level pretty quickly. Whereas in golf, you may be sitting there on the tee for a while, not going anywhere. Hunter, we all saw your break a hundred. So I think, I think you're clear to say that golf is harder, correct? Yeah. I was going to say like, I I think I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world (laughs) if I came on here and said this golf was harder after everyone watched me get brutalized by the golf course and, negative 10 degree weather the entire time but if someone did think this golf was harder um i want them to join this twitter space i want i want someone because there's no we got like over 500 people watching on youtube we got 50 someone we got 50 people in these twitter spaces i see people defending disc golf is way harder than golf well, here's, here's so I, I want someone. I want one of those people to come on here and defend let me, it. Let me let me answer. Let me, oh, let me let's give it. wait, wait, Yuli, Yuli from the other side of the room. Yeah, this it's not the question. Isn't is golf harder than disc golf? The question in my mind is what is harder than golf? Disc golf's not even close. What is hard? What Ooh. is a harder game than golf? And I would only put one thing. I think, I think that like being in combat sports, like UFC or well, something, might die. be a little harder. Yeah, you know, because the stuff that they learn like takes so much practice and like craziness. But golf, as far as like a ball sport or a frisbee sport or anything like that, it's the hardest game. That there is. What about again? Can I ask this particular question, really quick. Hold on. Oh, okay. Um, oh wait, we got. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you, we got Max. He might, he might think disc golf. He's got a picture of him with a disc golf disc. Max, is disc golf harder than golf? Eh, no. <laughs> Max, you're okay. No, there's a, no, there's a point I want to make. Oh, okay. I was about to remove you, so talk quick. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Golf. Golf has such a high entry. You have to have money to play golf. You can give anybody a frisbee for like ten bucks, and they can go play disc golf. I disagree, Max. I disagree, Max. I just I'm I'm removing you. I disagree completely. That is not why golf is harder. (laughs) You you had so you had so much anticipation. I thought he was going to come on here. You got to look at what we're throwing people into, though. We just had. Four people, two current well, pro tour athletes. Someone has to come on here and defend the honor. But that's what I was saying. JQ, JQ, defend. JQ, is disc golf harder than golf? JQ. Muted. JQ, you're muted. Oh, here he is. Here we go. We're good. All right, absolutely not. Disc golf is much easier. Much easier. So with golf, you can probably get to a baseline decent but it's hard to be great at golf whereas in disc golf it's probably harder to be decent early but you can get great at disc golf it's kind of like snowboarding and skiing you know what i'm saying like 
I, from what I've seen <laughs> from, from playing in golf and playing in disc golf, much, much harder to get great at golf. Plus, it's expensive. So you got to have time and money. Thank you, JQ. All right, we're still looking for someone that disagrees. Get this block in. Get blocking. All right, I got you. Block's going to try to sell me on some crypto thing, Hunter. I'm not – I don't want to talk about crypto tonight. I don't know. He was question. laughing at some stuff. Uh, Hunter, listen. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, I get – we get that it's harder to get good at golf compared to disc golf. But once you're good at golf, is it easier to stay good at golf or good at disc golf at D a high level? Disc golf. I literally, I've never played either at Yuli, Yuli, I took, I took two months off from throwing. I didn't throw for two months and I, within a few days, I feel like I'm back to normal golf. I mean, you, I you saw me at top golf. It's like I see these chipping guys on the, on the, on the old man tour at golf. And they're just killers, dude. Yeah. But they like, always play. They like never, 62. yeah, but they never stop playing Yuli. They play year round. Yeah, but I'm saying, is it easier to stay good, I guess, maybe if you're older at golf than disc golf? What about that? Oh, you're saying, you? oh, I could see that. I could see uh, that. Like a 60-year-old in disc golf, you're probably, because of how athletic, like more athletic it requires to, not athletic, but like you need more of your body to generate the power. We were talking about this today because it was so cold that in golf, you still are using a club to generate the power. So even though it's so cold, your 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 uh, your distance isn't going to change as much as in disc golf when it's freezing cold. Your body, like you're not going to be able to throw nearly as far. And that's probably the same as like as you get older in golf, your distance probably doesn't decrease as fast as it does in disc golf. I would agree with that. And if you're nasty on the putting green in golf, it can save you so much, so many strokes. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's see if Mike's got this guy looks like he might think disc golf is harder. <laughs> Mike, is disc golf harder than golf? Here's the question. Oh, gosh. What? <laughs> here's the, hey, here's the question. Okay. What, what is the equivalent to shooting 72? In disc golf, what's the equivalent to shooting par in disc golf? A thousand rated? Thousand no, three? no, like ten. No, like ten thirty-five. Okay, ninety-nine point nine percent of amateur golfers will never break eighty, let alone get to seventy. Get to seventy-two. You see guys every weekend in MA one and MA two that are popping off on thousand ten rated rounds, followed by two seven hundred rated rounds, but they're they're getting close to that. It's a lot easier to, to clip the 1050 mark than it is to get anywhere near scratch on a golf course. So so you you don't think disc golf is harder than golf? There's no way to make a valid argument there. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for calling into yep. the show. Appreciate it, brother. Um, all right. We'll try one more. The uh, Hunter wants the blockchain. I swear. If he starts trying to sell me on crypto again, I'm out. You get, you just instant remove him. Just instant remove him. All right, block. You're on. You're back on, for Hunter's sake. Okay. Um. No. I pinky swear. No. Um. No. Um. Crypto talk. Okay. All right. So um, I believe that um, this golf is harder. This is bait. 
And <laughs> right. because you have to be in the rough more, right? And so if you think about the mental capacity and um and how people actually um facilitate and actually like I don't know receive that mental like there's a lot more like country club courses that like if you like I don't know if made a mistake he can feel really good about that mistake right so climbing back on a saddle maybe at a country club um might be a little bit better than maybe like in that negative 10 degree weather when you shank and hit a tree I, I think that's a that's probably what makes it harder, right? Is the mentality to keep um, that um, um, that accuracy, right? As opposed me, uh, to just, yeah. Let me answer this one. Is probably the person on the board that spent the most time in the rough on the golf course and on the disc golf course. I'd much rather be scrambling on the disc golf course. Way easier to get up and down. Well, I'm not saying it's easier, right? I'm saying like... Um, the, the, the challenge, right? And the, the punishment. We don't want to like suffer for more punishment just to reach that um that perfection, you know. We want to be able to be sustaining um the performance itself. I'm sorry about my dog. But yeah. You're good. All right. We're gonna try to get Tennessee in here and then we're gonna move on. Thank you, Block. Appreciate you always, brother. Speaking of the rough, can we talk about Bitcoin for a second? <sighs> All right, real quick, let's get Tennessee back in here. They were throwing up high fives left, left and right. Tennessee, you're back on. All right, all right, all right. All right. I'm going to keep this as quick as possible. My argument is simple. As a core in the game itself, no, it is not more difficult. However, I will argue disc golf is more difficult to be elite at currently, not because it's a more difficult game, but because it's still evolving at a faster rate than golf is. Golf is pretty stagnant outside of a little bit of technology here and there and drivers and spades and a little bit of that. But disc golf is still moving at an exponential rate, which makes it extremely difficult to stay relevant and be good for a long time. Interesting. Pretty good point. That's an interesting one. Like you're, yeah. The argument's more like it's in the infancy where golf is yeah. pretty much established. We've, you know, you, we've seen what like a dominant player in golf looks like a la Tiger Woods. And now we're waiting for someone to kind of match what Tiger Woods has done. We haven't really seen that yet in disc golf. We haven't seen someone that can throw 500 plus feet backhand, forehand, juicing putts all over the place. That's kind of what you're saying. We haven't seen like a Eagle McMahon. <laughs> about to say, I was about to say Eagle. <laughs> he, did, he did it, but then he, he blew his arm out. But, okay, but consistency, right? Like that, I think that's really, like Tiger Woods did it for such a long, expanded period of time. Michael Jordan did it on such a long, LeBron James, Wayne Gretzky, all the greats have done it over not just one or two years, not just a, a handful of years. They did it over new generations. And I think, I think maybe that's a, yeah, I mean, I I think Paul is probably the closest. I would say Paul more than Eagle because Paul winning Worlds this past year, I think kind of took away the argument of like, oh, well, he just won when it was just him versus Ricky, you know, or him versus a couple other guys. I think now winning and being able to do it consistently shows a lot more than it did, you know, five, ten years ago, right? Like the field, it's way harder to win Where, against a bunch uh, of people. I, uh... Okay. I was gonna say, where do we think we're at on the disc golf timeline compared to other sports? Like who like Ken Climo related to a different sport? Ken Climo's uh, like, like Pistol P. And then Macbeth. <laughs> like where 
where are we at in the in our sport? Like, are we talking like Arnold Palmer, Bill Russell, or are we like we at our Jordan era? Where, where are we no, at? No, Yuli, I would love to hear your opinion. Go for it. Uh man, I think even younger than that. I think we're in the beginning. Beginning, like like uh, the guy that's on the Sam NBA Sneed. logo. Wait, no, no, Sneed wasn't even. He's older. Oh, you're going golf. You're going like, you're going, you're going like Ben Hogan. Yeah. Like even before that, I think. Oh, geez. Okay. I think we're babies. We're in like the wooden club era. We, we a hundred percent are. We're, we're in the wooden club era. And I don't think there's any argument to say we're not just because, you know, the YouTube era helped us out. Yeah. But they didn't have that back then. You know, we're just babies, man. I just love thinking of disc golf in that way because it's just exciting. Like, who knows what he, what frisbees are even going to be made of? Thirty exactly. years. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a big one. All right, let's finish up the show. This is this is my new favorite segment. Hopefully, we can get some other uh, pros to join us in the future for this segment because I always love hearing when we had uh, Chandler on last week, and then obviously Yuli. Was was dishing out some of their biggest pet peeves. We've got uh, Hunter here. Dusty's still with us. So, you guys, what are your biggest pet peeves in disc golf? Oh, easy one. I was just talking about it earlier today. When you're playing a like scored practice round, like on UDisc or something with your buddies, and they'll just when they're on a nervy practice putt, they do a bag putt so that they get a free miss. So, like, the heck the bag is a bag putt? What's a bag like putt? Like bag putting from 20 feet. Back, like your bag's on. It's not for a tournament or anything, but your U-disc rounds up. Big pet peeve of mine. You're, put, you're saying you're putting with your bag on? So it's kind of... You haven't played with someone who does this? You're, you'll be keeping a U-disc scorecard, right? So it's not a like serious... Oh, Hunter, I know exactly what you're saying. See, and then this happens in up. money rounds. People just get it and then do a dumb little fling putt. Yeah. Just to act like... And you're like, dude, I've seen you miss like... Exactly. Oh, so this is. So is it going like, oh well, you know, I wasn't trying. Let me just take my bag off and actually throw this putt. Okay, so this happens in golf too a lot, where someone will putt like an eight footer. They'll putt like an eight footer, and they'll have like a three footer, and they'll just walk up real quick with like one hand and tap it. And if they miss, they're like, oh well, I would have made that if I actually was trying. Is that what you're kind of saying? Is like, they they do it nonchalantly, so that way if they make it, it's like no worries and if they miss it they're like oh well if i was actually trying to make it obviously i would make this 20 foot yeah that would that would annoy me brody i I remember playing when i was a kid and there were no gimmies dude no i don't i I don't now at a country club and there it's like they give each other five footers dude that never happened when i was a kid playing like we, there was no gimmies. No, especially if you're playing for money. I, I people are putting. I have people put everything out, and in disc golf too, it makes it doesn't really make sense to have. Um, like uh, the only gimme I think in disc golf really is like if you literally can pick up the disc and drop it in the basket. Otherwise, just you literally pick it up, throw it in, and then like walk by. The reason why like gimmies kind of suck in golf is because you bend down and like pick the ball out of the cup. Right. So like it's nice to just have to be able to scoop it the ball up with your putter and never have to bend down. But in disc golf, you just pull it out of the cage. You're not having to bend down to get your disc out of the cage. There's no reason to ever do a gimme, really. In my we my used opinion. To have, 
on our collegiate team, we had tag matches, which were pretty serious. They decided like your seating and players would do it all the time. They'd be like a, literally like a 20 footer where, you know, they're like 50, 60 percent and they would keep their bag on and throw the putt and then try to take their bag off and be like, well, you know, that one, that wasn't serious. I was just like, just throwing it nonchalant. I'm like, no, 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 no. This matters way too much. That counted. We're done. We're moving on. Have, oh. have you yeah. ever seen Johnny Two Fingers? He puts with his bag on every time, even in tournaments. Yeah, he was he was dirty. He was making them all. He was it was the only thing putts. that I don't like about about like really short short putts, like a ten footer or something. Is sometimes it just spits out, and that's not that's a gimme. But it's like you got completely robbed. I don't like that part of it. So I don't mind if it's really close. If they're a good putter, it should, I don't even want to. I don't want. I tell people that I'm like I didn't want to see you get spit out anyway, or I don't want to see you miss inside that. inside like five feet or ten feet where yeah. you know, someone's not missing. I'm all for that. I'm talking when we get to like 12, 15, 20 feet, and you're yeah. like, no, like you can miss that putt. Let's throw it. Let's sure. be real. Let's throw a real putt here. I was gonna say something. I just completely lost my train of thought. Uh, does you have any you have any pet peeves coming from maybe the commentator booth that you've seen? A pet peeve in the commentator? Okay, that's a little bit of a curveball. Well, like like something that you've been watching and you're just like, oh, I really don't like it when players do that or anything like that. Let me think on that one in a second. Let okay, me think on that one. Um, chat's still going off. I, I don't really see too many pet peeves in the chat. Apparently, everyone just plays and and completely enjoys themselves, which is. More to say than I guess us over here. My pet peeve is when Brody bullies the conversation and doesn't let Chandler Kramer talk. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. That's fair enough. Um, All right. All right. Oh, you got one already. Oh, let's hear it. I, so this, I don't know if this is like a specific pet peeve, but one thing that does bother me, like as a commentator and being on the inside is when people like start complaining and pinning blame on people when they don't really realize that there's something sometimes going on behind the scenes that we're trying to cover up for that you're not supposed to know about. And Mm. so that's why things are coming out in a way that isn't like optimal. So like, just to give an example, sometimes, you know, your co-commentator, Mike might be having like a malfunction or like a technical difficulty or something like that. And so production is trying to fix that. And so you're kind of still going on to keep the show going. And everybody thinks that you're like bullying your co-commentator. Not. Nope. You cut out a little bit. I need to cut out. I, I got a couple of pet peeves that I want since, since Dusty cut out, I got a couple of pet peeves. All right, these are good. These are good ones. It what? only cut out for you. <laughs> oh, did he? Is he back? It was just yeah. what he was talking about, man. A little technical difficulty. The booth's trying to fix it. Dude, that dust is the worst, bro. His <laughs> mic doesn't even work. Yikes! That's a bad one. <laughs> all right. Well, we all we all saw it firsthand. His pet peeve. Um, all right, I've got a couple good ones. One is when you're playing behind a group of like more than four people, like I'm talking five, six, seven people and they see you and they don't give you the, uh, Oh yeah. Play through. They don't give you the go ahead. And you're just standing 
and you just basically are waiting the entire your entire round, every single tee pad, having to wait for them. I hate that. If you see someone, even if it's multiple people behind you and they're playing faster than you, let them play through because by not letting them play through, you're slowing the whole course down. It's awful for everyone. The other one is the flip side of it. When you're playing in a threesome and a one-some comes up, so you're like, oh yeah, play through, and they proceed to throw like eight shots off the tee and you're just standing there like, wait, what? And then they go up and they're putting like five, six times. And you're like, like if you, if you play through someone, I think you need to do it like as fast as possible to get out of the way. That's another one. And then the last one I have is like, when it comes to like scorekeeping, I love it. When you have like a UDIS person, again, these are obviously volunteers. They're not paid and uh, they're doing their best. But I love it when a score person like can just keep track of the scores themselves because my least favorite thing to do when it comes to like UDIS scoring or whatever is like right before I'm teeing off for the next hole, they're like, oh, wait, Brody, what'd you go on that last hole? And I'm like, I got an eight. I got, I got an eight. Thank, thank you for reminding me that I just triple bogey the, the last hole. Appreciate it. And then you have to go and try to throw your next shot. Uh, that That's also – that's one that I wish I didn't have to, like, think about my score from the previous hole when I have those ginormous numbers. I got one. I don't like when you're playing in a, in a group, okay? Yeah. And you're moving along. And you come up to the putting green, and it's close as far as the distance. And you look over to the guy, and you give him, like, the, hey, who's out? (laughs) And then he doesn't take it. Like, I don't even ask at this point. I just go putt. If I think I'm out, I just go putt. (laughs) But you know that I just, like, know when you're out, dude. Like, just go putt your thing. Go putt it. You're clearly out. Now, sometimes I just go, uh, if anybody asks me, I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Do you think some people like to have that, like, I'm closer than you, so I'm going to wait for you to, like, is that why some people just, like, want to wait? Is because they want to be. courteous or a courtesy thing to where they're probably trying to be courteous. It's close. So they're like, okay, who, well, what do, what do you want to do? And then I'm always just like, I'll go. I don't care. Here you go, bam. Okay. Because I do think but some people was, really. Somebody, I like being the person that puts first in that scenario. Anyways, like if it, if someone ever brings it up, I'm always I'd rather putt first. Same. I don't, I don't like seeing a miss right before I have to putt, or if we're like pretty far out and they bang a putt and run it in, and I like have to watch all that before I putt. I like. Just, <laughs> Hunter's a big momentum putt. guy. Hunter believes in momentum. He's a, I believe a lot in momentum, and I like being in control of my own <laughs> destiny. I feel like if I putt first, both those are my favorite. And I don't like when somebody takes forever because I really do believe they take my win sometimes. Oh, they you're take win. my breeze. Yeah, they take my breeze. That's a oh, I wish I would. I hate when I hate when they take my breeze, bro. I am uh, a <laughs> seconds and that tailwind switches on me. I'm like, how dare you? That's mine. one of my favorite sayings is take your time, just don't take my time, please. Thank you. I will, you just brought up a good point. I don't like another pet peeve of mine. I don't like when you, I I fall victim for like not realizing that it's my turn 
And I get that. There's four people. It's sometimes difficult to remember who's up and like what everyone got. But I don't like it when you know you're next up on the tee. Like someone's on the tee and you know you're next up and you're just standing there and you don't have your disc out. And you basically wait for the person to completely throw and completely be off the tee box. And then you start going through like what disc you want to throw. Like, I think we would save so much time on the tour if people were just ready to throw. Like we all know what disc we're throwing on the majority of holes we step up to. Like obviously when it's windy, sure we might have to change it, but for for day to day, you're not really changing your game plan on holes. So I don't know. I it, I it bugs me when people take like 15 seconds to just get to the tee pad when they're they're it's their turn to throw. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Um. Other than that, any other pet peeves? Those were some good ones. I got one. All right, finish this out. Let's hear it. So you know how have – you, have you ever heard of that – I don't know if this is like a common one, but it's like second shot for science. Like, you know, like you'll be playing a casual round and like you'll throw you a normal shot, but you'll be like, hey, I kind of want to try this other shot to see how it'll go. Okay. Or something like that. Yep. But when people flip it and they'll do that first – and then they'll go grab their other disc to throw again. And you're like, wait, you just threw. And you're and they're like, no, nah, that was just like for science. Like that was just me kind of checking things out. It's that like, happens. Yes. Dude, and I've, yes. More, awesome. more, more in like the local scene, Yuli. That definitely happens yeah, yeah, of where absolutely. someone's like, I would never, I would never throw this disc on this hole, but I just want to see what happens. Exactly, and then if it yep. turns out to be good, they're they like, oh, it. sick. Yep. And if it's bad, it's like, all right, I'm going to throw the disc I normally throw. The way it'll also happen sometimes is, is you'll be wrapping up one hole and they'll like kind of quickly move ahead to the next tee pad before the rest of the group gets there and they'll rip a shot before everybody oh, else gosh. gets there. And then they'll they'll just act like it didn't ha- like that was not their shot. Like, yeah, dude, I was just I'll just mess around waiting for you guys to get here. And I, it's like, nah, bro, you threw. Even like, though if they would if they would have parked it, they for <laughs> sure are taking that. Yeah, hundred percent. That's funny. All right, we got a couple actually people calling in. Let's let's hear from them and then we'll wrap it up here. Jordan, uh, real quick, pet peeves. What do you got? Uh, so I play with my cousin a lot, who does a lot of sidearm flex shots, and he throws a lot of faster discs even on shorter holes because he thinks it's easier just to get it there flexing it. So usually I'll throw something slower, just max force, so I don't have to throw a faster disc lighter that either will fade out earlier or go too far. And usually I, like, I'm the only one doing that. So people will be like, why are you throwing that? And like questioning the type of shot. And that just kind of irritates me a little bit. But something last week to bring up too about your shaking the hands on 18 thing that I wanted to bring up. What if people are, are tied in the last whole final card and they're shaking and that person could literally be beating them for the tournament. And then say they go into a, say they go into a playoff and one wins half of the time you see on coverage, the other guy doesn't even come up and shake their hand. Then they just walk off. So what was the point of even shaking on 18 then? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, yeah, I don't want to go down too much down the, the same topic, but that, I mean, that's the big thing is to me, it shows more sportsmanship to shake someone's hand after they beat you than to shake their hand prior. If you want to do both, knock yourself out, I guess. But yes, I, I I think it's I think it's more more sportsmanship to shake someone's hand after they just beat you 
then like you're saying, we sometimes don't see it. Uh, we do see it sometimes, obviously, where they have they both they both do it. Uh, but yes, there are some times where, especially if it goes into a playoff or something like that, the other person just dips and there's like, I'm out of here. All right, we got hitting the line. Thanks for calling in, Jordan. Appreciate your brother. Hitting the line. What do you got for us? Hey yo. Yes. Yeah. So uh one of my big pet peeves is like maybe you're playing league or something. It doesn't matter what you're playing, but you're pro- you're playing with somebody that's likely worse than you. And you throw, you know, they already threw, it's whatever. You tell them nice shot, possibly, because, you know, maybe it's a good shot for them. And you throw a drive that's better than theirs, but it was not at all what you were intending to do. And they compliment the crap out of your shot. I cannot stand that. <laughs> like, that is not what I was trying to do. Don't tell me nice shot. Not at all. Yeah, it's almost kind of like a sarcastic nice shot when everyone knows that yeah. wasn't that wasn't in, uh, planned, I guess. Yeah, and they're like, well, it was the closest to the pinner, farther than us. I'm like, yeah, well, I've been playing for 14 years, dude. That's not what I was trying to do. I see that. Yep, that's a good one. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, appreciate it. We're going to give Max another chance here. Uh, I kind of cut him off because I was really hyped up, and and then he came on and just agreed that disc golf was harder or it was easier. So, Max, redemption tour. <laughs> uh, pet peeves, pet peeves. When you run into randoms at the course and they're smoking bad weed, oh. that is the worst. <laughs> like, at least bring the good stuff. So all right, all right, all right, Max. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Ma- Th- Thank you, Max. At least bring the good stuff. All right, we got X to finish this out. Final one from X. Uh, X, finish this out. What you got, brother? Yo, it was the biggest pet peeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my like biggest pet peeve is usually when I throw like a start off medium throw, not super long, first few of the day, and then like my buddy next to me just like out throws me by like fifty yards, and then like looks at me and winks. It's like, dude, like my throw is still average. Like it's still a good throw at the end of the day. Like he doesn't have to one up me like that, you know. You you play with a bunch of one uppers. Yeah, and it's like it's still an average throw. It gets the job done. I do. Up, right? I do enjoy playing with someone and letting them know that I threw a slower disc, the same distance to the basket as they did. That I do enjoy that. I probably wouldn't like that if I was on the other end, if someone was doing that to me. But I do like doing that to other people. So it might be similar. So maybe I'll maybe I'll uh, stop doing that if it does bug. If it's bugging well, people, I always throw like a. 14 speed so it's never the case where somebody is throwing something faster than me <laughs> hey a nuke is only a 13 speed right? oh 13 yeah all right oh man all right pre- faster than a 13 yeah i think there's 15, 15s but yeah the list of pros are 14 speed. i think those something 14 i mean i want to just make a putter and stamp at 17 speed just see what happens <laughs> Uh, I mean, flight numbers are kind of like uh, whose line is it anyway? The points don't matter, right? There's numbers on the disc, and sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't. All right, that's going to wrap up the show, though. Thank you to everyone that tuned in. Thank you to everyone that called. We are now on Spotify. We are now on Apple Podcasts. So if you don't catch the show live, or if you rather finish the show or whatever, the audio version, all that will be on all your favorite plot podcasts. Uh, platforms as well 
Uh, but yeah, good show. Thanks everyone. Thank you, Yuli. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, Dusty. Thank you, everyone else that tuned in. We appreciate you all, and we'll see you in the next one. All right, we are ending the live.